0: Today is a special day as we are continuing our One Things process, which is a a two-and-a-half-year process of moving through eight different areas of human development. And uh, we started with spirituality in the summer months of last year, June, July, and August. Then we moved to physicality in the fall. We started this year with a three-month focus on finances, financial blessing. And now we're continuing with the three-month series on family, Last Sunday I introduced that series via video, and uh, I was in absence, I was in Korea, but recorded the video there and uh, heard some good reports about that as well. So thankful to God that you bear with me in in those types of situations. And uh, today is part two of that series on family, and I want to draw your attention to the book of Matthew chapter 19 as we take this to another level, Matthew 19 beginning at verse 1. Matthew 19, begin at, at verse 1. And as you're turning there, I would, um, I would just like to say turn there. Uh, I, I, don't worry, I'm, I'm warming up. <laughs> my, 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 my brain is moving. My spirit is alive. It's just going to take me a minute here <laughs> to get my bearings. We're definitely going to pray after we read this verse. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. Matthew 19, verse 1, this is what it says. Now, when Jesus had finished these sayings, he went away from Galilee and entered the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. And large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. And the Pharisees came up to him to test him by asking, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? He answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female, And said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. Then they said to him, why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? He said to them, because of your hardness of heart. Moses allowed you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning, it was not so. Let's pray. Father, I pray today in the name of the Lord Jesus that you'd open our hearts and minds, that you'd give wisdom, revelation, and understanding, that you would grant me clarity, that you would keep me awake. We just rebuke all forms of physical tiredness and sluggishness of mind and heart, and we declare alertness of mind and heart. We pray, Father, that you would do a work today that would go beyond my ability to communicate. I give you all the glory and honor for it in Jesus' mighty name. And everyone said? Amen. All right, so I need you to say a lot of amens. I mean, more than usual, because that's going to energize me, okay? Thank you. All right, praise the Lord. All right, gotcha. Good morning. I want to talk about redemption this morning. We need to understand what redemption is. The word redeem simply means to buy back. And it has to do with the restoration of what was lost. When something is redeemed, it is returned to its former state. It's returned to its former estate, its former condition. And so redemption, when we're talking about redemption that comes through Christ Jesus, we're talking about the restoration of what was lost. And when we ask restoration of what was lost when, we go all the way back to the Garden of Eden redemption through christ jesus is the restoration of what went wrong in the garden of eden and we call it the fall when sin entered the world through adam and eve we talk about the fall adam and eve were put out of the garden and sin entered the world and all of the consequences for sin And Jesus came to redeem us from all of the negative ramifications of the fall. Those of you who are my theology students, remember my definition of the gospel. The gospel is the message of the effective reversal of all negative ramifications of the fall through faith in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is, everything that went wrong in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve ate the fruit, Jesus came to make it right by dying on the cross. And and what ro- went wrong in the original creation, God makes right in the new creation. That's why 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says, Therefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. And when it says old things are passed away, the old things that are passed away are the old things that went wrong with the original creation. Yeah. There was nothing wrong with the original creation in the beginning. It was perfect. It was good. Remember, the seven days of creation, God created. And said it is good after everything he created he said it is good but after he created Adam he said for the first time it is not good he said it is not good for the man to be alone it's not good everything else was good he created he said let there be light and he saw the light that it was good. He separated the light from darkness and he he commanded birds to fill the sky and fish to fill the seas and separated the dry land from the seas and he called it good. He said it is good, it is good. But when Adam was created and Adam was alone, God said this isn't good. It's not good for the man to be alone, so I will create a helper suitable for him. I want you to understand that the word helpmate is not a biblical term. I hear people say it all the time. I got to find me my helpmate. No, you ain't got no help mate. The word helpmate is not in the Bible. It sounds like something you pour in your coffee. You know? A little coffee mate. <laughs> it's like it adds to your coffee. No, it's help meat in the King James Version. That is a helper suitable, and the word helper there is Ezer, which means rescuer a suitable rescuer. I will make him a suitable rescuer. In other words, Adam is in bad shape right now. I need to bring someone alongside him to rescue him. It's not good for the man to be alone. He didn't say it wasn't good for the woman. He said it's not good for the man to be alone. And so God said, I'm going to make a helper suitable for him. Now, I want you to understand that when God created humankind the first thing he created was a family and when we're talking about sin entering into the world we are talking about fundamentally the breakdown of the family relationships and as you follow out the genesis narrative what becomes ultimately clear is that sin is inherently familial, familial in nature Sin has to do with the breakdown of familial relationships. And as the family systems become more and more complex throughout the narrative of Genesis, you see sin becoming more and more complex. It starts out as a simple disagreement between husband and wife about what God said and what they're supposed to do. And they eat the fruit and get kicked out of the garden. Then it becomes jealousy between brother and brother, Cain and Abel. And one brother kills the other brother because of jealousy. Later, we see Lamech, who was a descendant of Cain. He said, Cain killed one man, but I've killed seven men. Right? And we see that there's this growth of sin and wickedness, but it originates in the family system. We see by the time you get to Jacob and his sons, he has 11 sons, 12 sons, but when he had 11, Joseph, the 11th son, he loves that one son more than he loves the other ten sons. There's the breakdown in the parental relationship. He's a terrible father to the ten older sons. And he creates jealousy between the brothers. And, he see, and we see that Joseph had this uppity attitude around his brothers. Always telling them about dreams he had of how much greater he was than them. Of course they hated him. And then we see those ten brothers rise up and, throw, and sell him into slavery. It's familial. It happens in the family. What happens when one, there's, there's a scene where all of the brothers rush into the city of Shechem and kill every man in the city? Why? Because their sister was raped by one of the men of the city. Failure to process their anger and their rage appropriately. They should have had anger and rage, but they didn't handle it right, and so they resorted to murderous violence. And so what we see is that, and what we can do, what we, what we can draw out of the Genesis narrative is the idea that all sin is homegrown. It starts in the family. Meaning if you sat down and wrote out a list of every sin that you've ever committed and then a list of every sin you've ever been tempted to commit, every sin that you've ever thought about, I would dare say that you could trace the origins of everything on that list to your your upbringing and to your family. The roots of it are something that you should have got in the home but didn't get or something that you shouldn't have got in the home but did get. Things you shouldn't have seen but you saw and things you should have saw that you didn't see. Things you should have received that you didn't receive and things you shouldn't have received that you did receive. The roots of sin are in the family. As a matter of fact, because we can say that sin is familial in nature, we might be able to conclude that raising children is really about raising mature sinners. Because by the time you grow up in the family system, you have matured into certain kinds of sins that you learned right at home. The great problem with the world is the family. But this also means that the family is the great solution of the world. Because you can also learn righteousness in your family. Matter of fact, the scripture says, raise up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. And so God speaks to the family. And the first thing that God creates in the Garden of Eden is a family. Now we're going to come back to that. If you notice the way God reveals himself again and again through Scripture, he reveals himself through familial metaphors. He says, I am your Father. And you're my children. He says, if you want to understand what your relationship with me is supposed to be like, you've got to look at the relationship between a father and children. Matter of fact, Jesus took his disciples up to the Mount of Olives and he wept over Jerusalem and said, O Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those who are sent to you, how often I've longed to gather you as a mother hen gathers her young, but yet you are unwilling. He reveals himself as the God who is like a mother. He says, just like that mother hen gathers her young and covers them under the shadow of her wings to protect them i've longed to gather you but you were unwilling he reveals himself as being a father and like a mother he reveals himself as being the friend that is closer than a brother he reveals Himself in familial ways. And then He teaches us to relate to each other, even as members of the body of Christ, as family members. He teaches us that the body of Christ is, a, is the family of God. It's the household of God. And so the experience of family is fundamental to the experience of what it means to be a human. To the degree that you experience family, to that degree you experience your humanity. But if you are cut off from family, if you're cut off from the experience of family, you don't have access to part of what it means to be human. In in actuality, you you don't have access to something central to your humanity. Because Adam, when he was isolated and alone, God said it's not good. He was perfect and without sin, but God said it's not good. He He had never messed up his... His IQ was probably higher than any other man who ever lived save Jesus Christ himself. But God said it's not good. He had no evil thoughts whatsoever, but God said it's not good. He was living in perfect obedience to God, did everything God said. His thoughts were governed by the word of God, but God said it's not good because you can be wise and smart and brilliant and attractive and humble and all of these things, but it's not good if you're alone and and isolated from the experience of family. And so the psalmist said that he's a father to the fatherless and a defender of widows. He said a father to the fatherless and a defender of widows is the Lord in His holy habitation. He said the Lord puts the destitute in families. The Lord goes and finds people who are destitute and isolated and says you need to experience family so I'm going to put you in one. And what we find is that the experience of family at the end of the day is not biological in nature. It has nothing to do with the bloodline because I can take a baby from another culture from another land and bring it into my house and say you're now my son my wife didn't give birth to you but you're now our son and raise that child as our own son and that child will grow up calling me daddy and calling my wife mommy that child will experience family because actually at the end of the day every one of us is biologically related at the end of the day we all go back to Adam and Eve and Adam and Eve go back to God at the end of the day we are one big happy family and sometimes not so happy (laughs) but we're still family amen Amen. now we got to understand redemption because what we see in the book of genesis and not just in the book of genesis but throughout the rest of scripture is that there's a fundamental breakdown that sin brings into the family and the fundamental function of sin is to destroy the family unit And the fundamental intention of the enemy is to destroy the family unit. The devil wants to destroy families. And not only do we see this throughout scripture, but we've experienced it in our lives. Because there's nobody in this room right now that has not experienced some form of heartache, pain, devastation, and loss in some familial relationship. We've all experienced pain in the family. And if there's three places where the people of God are being tormented, it's in the place of sexuality, it's in the place of finance, and it's in the place of family. The people of God are tormented day and night, hurting. And so we talk about restoration and redemption through Jesus Christ, that he came to make right what went wrong in the Garden of Eden. That's what redemption and restoration is. And that means that He came not just to save your soul and take you to heaven when you die, but He came also to save your family and to fix your family and to heal your family. And that's why when the the jailer... When the Philippian jailer brought Peter, uh, Paul, and Silas out of the prison in Acts chapter sixteen, he said, "What must I do to be saved?" Paul said, "Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you shall be saved, you and your household." Because God never expected us to believe on an individual basis and say, "The rest of my family can go to H E double toothpicks. I don't care. No way." I'm not believing for myself. I'm not going to heaven without my daughter. I'm not going there without my wife. I'm not going without my brothers. That is, at the end of the day, I will go there if I have to without them. But I'm going to go kicking and screaming. And I'm going to do everything in my power. I'm going to believe for my family and for my household. Amen. There's a young man in Southern California that I mentor. He's a, a youth pastor in Southern California. His name is Peter Ha. And I was talking to him and he was sharing with me his testimony of his father. He said, one night his mother went to sleep and had a dream that his father was taken up in a whirlwind and fell to the earth and died. And she ran to him and put her hand on his chest and called him back to life. And he burst back to life and came back to life. She woke up in the morning wondering what that meant. Peter was about 15 years old at the time. He said, Peter went to, He said I went to school that day and in the middle of the day somebody called and said, you need to get to the hospital right now, it's your father. He, he was rushed to the hospital. He got there. His mother was standing there. And his father had had either a, a major heart attack or a major stroke. I believe it was a major stroke. And the doctor said, you all need to prepare yourselves because he's not going to make it. He'll be dead by morning. And he and his mother stepped out of the room and he said, mom, there's no way dad's going to die. She said, why do you say that? He said, because God promised me that if I believed on him, I would be saved, me and my household. Dad can't die yet, he's not saved, he doesn't know Jesus, he's going to live. And she said, well, you know, what's interesting, I had a dream last night that I laid my hands on him and raised him from the dead. So they went back in, they prayed and they believed, and by, and, and by a miracle of God, he recovered. They couldn't believe it, but he recovered. But when he came out of it, he thought immediately his dad would receive Christ, because, you know, when God just pulls you back from the place of death, you're going to believe in him, right? He said, no, it didn't happen. He couldn't believe it. His dad was debilitated. He couldn't walk. He had lost motor functions. And and, and he had to go to dialysis every other day for the rest of his life. He was in terrible condition. He was depressed. And Peter said, for a couple of years, he thought, Lord, when is my father going to receive Christ? But Peter said, one day I came home, and I sat on my bed in my bedroom, and my father walked into my room and sat down, and he began weeping. I said, Dad, what's wrong? He said, I met Jesus Christ. And he said, Dad, what do you mean you met Jesus Christ? What happened? He said, I never told you this. He said, but I haven't been able to sleep for two years since I had my accident, since I had my, my stroke. He said, The reason I can't sleep is I see spirits in the air. I see these spirits hovering. They torment me day and night. They follow me wherever I go. I open my eyes and they're there. I hear them. I see them and I can't get away from them. He said, But last night I was laying on my bed in the middle of the night and these spirits were tormenting me. And all of a sudden the door to my bedroom opened and a man walked in. And he said, That man looked at those spirits and did this and they all fled. <laughs> And he said, Then that man looked at me and said, From now on, I'm going to be with you. And he started weeping. He said, Son, I just don't understand why Jesus Christ he said I know it was Jesus Christ he said but I don't understand why Jesus Christ would take the time to come from heaven and visit a worthless man like me he said I can't even walk I can't be a missionary I can't be a pastor I can't do anything for him why would he come and visit me he said but I'm so thankful that Jesus saved my soul he came into my life that man's life That man's life was miraculously changed by the power of God. He didn't recover from his debilitating illnesses, but he spent every day of the rest of his life in joy, with the joy of the Lord, knowing that the joy of the Lord was his strength. And last year, he went home to be with the Lord. Now, there's probably several other people in this room who could tell the opposite testimony. That you believed for your family member all the way to the end, and they never received Christ. There's testimonies in both ways. And the first thing we need to understand is that this principle of God healing the family does not mean that every single broken relationship of your entire life is going to be made right because you came to Jesus. There is a reasonable expectation that God wants to heal your family, but don't expect God to fix everything that has gone wrong in your entire familial history because you've come to faith in Jesus Christ. There is this paradox That the psalmist says, even if my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. There's a time, there's a circumstance in which sometimes your father and mother are simply going to forsake you. But you got to know at the end of the day that the Lord receives you and that that's enough for you. For some of you here, you're on your second or third marriage. If God God healed every relationship from your past, you'd have to go back to your first spouse. And that's not going to happen. You don't want God to heal that. I've seen people prophesy that kind of stuff. The Lord says he's going to heal your first marriage. You're going back. So you want me to divorce my current spouse? No, that's not God. Not everything is going to be healed. The same way we don't expect every single sickness to be healed. Just the moment you come to faith in Jesus Christ, there are some prayers that that, that are answered immediately. There's other prayers that are answered eventually. And there's other prayers that are answered ultimately. Meaning some relationships aren't going to be healed immediately, but they'll be healed eventually. Maybe years down the road. And others aren't going to be even healed eventually, but they'll be healed ultimately. When you get to heaven, when you get to the other side. But we stand in faith in the midst of it. And we believe that God is a God of redemption and restoration. That he comes to restore what the enemy has taken away. The enemy comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy your family. But God comes so that your family might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. Amen. So the Lord wants to heal your family. Now, we got to start with the marriage relationship because this is where God started. Notice all the way back in the Garden of Eden that when God began the human experiment, he did not start with a parent and a child. Adam and Eve had no belly button. They weren't born. He didn't start with a parent and a child. He did not start with a brother and a sister. He did not start with a friend and a friend. He started with a husband and a wife. And that means that the, that the, that the marriage relationship is central to God's created intention for human experience, for humankind. The marriage relationship is the paradigmatic relationship. It is the central relationship. It is the foundation of humanity. And if the marriage relationship breaks down, every other relationship will break down. See, we're, we have to fight for the institution of marriage in our day and in our time. Because in our generation, the institution of marriage is under attack. And it is under severe attack. The devil is working over time, not just to destroy your marriage, but to destroy marriage. Right, right. Because if he can destroy marriage, he can destroy the central relationship that is the building block for every other human relationship. It all takes its cue from the marriage relationship. And so Jesus says here in Matthew chapter 19, the Pharisees ask him, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason whatsoever? And Jesus takes them all the way back to Genesis 1. He says, have you not read? Isn't it interesting that he's talking to people who had been reading the Bible since they were born? Who had memorized it. He says, haven't you read? What Bible are you reading from? Haven't you read that at the beginning, the Creator made them male and female. Interesting here that Jesus refers to God as the creator. It is the only place in scripture where Jesus refers to God as the creator. Every other time Jesus speaks of God, he calls him either God or his father. My father, the father. But here and only here, he says the creator. And when he speaks of God as creator, what is the first thing he creates? The marriage relationship. He is underscoring the centrality and the importance of marriage in God's creative design. In the beginning, the creator made them male and female. Now, we got to stop here for a second. In the beginning, the creator made them male and female. Female. We got to say this, not only is the marriage relationship under attack, but it is it, there's an attempt to redefine it. Right. In the beginning, he made them male and female, not male and male, not female and female. Right. I got to say this because it is, and it's unpopular to say this. It's dangerous to say this. You get attacked if you say this. You get, level, you, get you get called a bigot and you get called intolerant and all of these things if you say it. Listen, it is not an unloving thing to simply hold out the standard that God has given us. We do not have the authority to change what God has laid out. We cannot go back in time and change His created intention. And we can't redefine it based upon our desires. Jesus said it. God said it. The Bible said it. The Word of God said it. In the beginning, He made them male and female. Now we have to say this, but we also must acknowledge the fact that while this is a simple and clear-cut, uh, uh, it's, a, it's a simple and clear-cut truth. It is a complicated reality. Yeah. And why do I say it's a complicated reality? Because there are plenty of precious saints of God who struggle with same-sex attraction, and so it's not enough for us simply to lay out the standard. But we must walk compassionately, patiently, and lovingly with those who struggle with same-sex attraction. And I want you to know that if you struggle with that, you're welcome here. But I believe that my God is greater than that. I believe my God can heal that. I believe my God can set you free of that. I believe my God can set right what has gone wrong. Amen? And so the Creator made them male and female and said... For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother. Well, what's the reason? You ever ask that question when you read this text? It says, for this reason. For what reason? For this reason. I, I, I read it for years and I thought I was waiting for him to tell me what the reason is. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and cling to his wife And the two shall be one flesh. What would cause a man in his right mind to leave his father and mother and cling to one woman? For this reason. For what reason? What is the reason? Well, the reason is simple. Because God created them male and female. For this reason. Because God said it. For this reason. Because God said, this is how I want it that is marriage is an act of obedience to god not simply an act of convenience not simply an act of preference not simply an act of of economic stability you know a lot see a lot of people are talking about well i don't know if i'm ready to get married yet now, i don't i mean we're just y'all got to work out the finances thing Well, we got it. You know, I don't know. I've been with her for seven years, but I still don't know if I'm ready to get married. No, 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 no. For this reason. Why? Because God said you got to leave and cleave. Let me tell you something, young men. If you're not ready to leave and cleave, you're not ready to date. Don't be playing with this young lady's emotions. I want to go out to dinner with you. I want to take you to Starbucks. Why? Are you ready to leave and click? You're not even on the market. You're in the no-fly zone. Because if you don't have the money to buy it, you might buy it on credit. Or you might just do a bunch of window shopping. See, you know, when you do window shopping, it makes people mad, doesn't it? You go in the store, you try on a bunch of stuff, knowing that you have no intention of buying anything. And then you just leave it all messed up, you know, shirts off. I mean, they were folded neatly and you just had it all messed up, you know. And then you leave and now somebody has to come behind you folding up your stuff. That's how a lot of young men treat young women. You tried on about 10 different young women and didn't marry nobody. And got women all unfolding their stuff and laying out, laying their lives out there. Now you just leave them shipwrecked and all heartbroken. Stop it. come on somebody we've got to learn to take the ambiguity out of male female relationships I'm talking to the unmarried folks and I'm talking to the young men specifically you must remove the ambiguity from the mix what do I mean ambiguity young men say can we go out to Starbucks sure let's go And you take that young lady to Starbucks a week later. Let's go to Starbucks. Sure, let's go. And after you've gone to Starbucks four or five times, she's thinking, is there something between us? Or are we just going to Starbucks? What's happening here? And the young man's thinking, maybe I'll just let it kind of develop secretly. You know, I'll just kind of on the under, kind of get in there, you know, and maybe I'll just see if it works. Let me tell you something. Be a man. Stop being a coward and be a man. If you're interested in her, tell her up front. Right. I would like to take you out on a date. That gives her the opportunity to say yes or no. Right. And she knows what she's saying yes or no to. All right. and, and this is the rule of thumb. Young thumb. Young men, the rule of thumb. <laughs> young men, do not treat any one young lady as more special than the other female friends in your life. Because if you do, she thinks there's something between you, even if you don't. And you're going to hurt her. So get that ambiguity out there and be straight. And secondly, don't walk up to some young girl that you don't know asking her out on a date. Because all that is is the lust of the flesh. You can't tell me you like her personality when you never met her before. Trying to get the digits because you saw her on the street. Stop all that mess. (laughs) All right. Okay. Moving on. Oh, I got victory over jet lag today. (laughs) I'm awake, church. I don't know about second service. (laughs) They might have to listen to this one. (laughs) But I'm alive right now. So he said, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother. And this, listen, my mother sat me down. My mother and father sat me and Sonny down. The day we got married or the day after we got married, my mother said, son, I love you very, very much. But I need you to know that if you and Sonny get in a fight, you are not welcome in my home. Don't you dare come here because you and your wife are fighting. I will not let you in the front door. And I'm like, oh, mama, mama, it's me. Mama, it's me. You're going to do me like that. And then she looked at my wife and said, Sonny, we love you very, very much. We just need you to know that if you and our son get in a fight, you are welcome in our home. <laughs> she said, come to me. Come, come, come right over here and tell me what he did. <laughs> you two get in a fight, you are welcome any time. Come right on over here. I was like, that is wrong. That's messed up. You didn't give birth to her. You gave birth to me. Remember you used to rub my tummy when I had a tummy ache? You remember? I felt so rejected. You know what my parents were doing? They were making sure that I was going to leave and cleave. Amen. Yeah. Amen. Because the big problem is when a man gets married, but don't leave his mama and father. You haven't, you have not cut the umbilical cord. You're still trying to get nourished from Mama. Now, see, I didn't even realize the degree to, that per, to the, which that persisted in my life. I didn't know I was a mama's boy. Can I, can I tell you a secret, ladies? If you're with a man who's a mama's boy, he don't know it. It takes revelation. It can't be detected, only revealed. And you telling him is not going to help him realize it. You've got to pray that the Lord chose him. He <laughs> used to drive Sonny crazy every few days. I've got to call my mom. Why? Why you got to call your mom? I just got to check in with her. Did you check in with her the day before, you have, oh, so you don't like my mom? No, that's not what it is at all. But why you got to call your mom every two days? I just, I love my mama. That's why I got to call my mama. For this reason, a man shall leave. Not cut off. He will leave his father and mother and cling to his wife. I looked at that word cling. In the Greek. And I can't even remember the name. The word right now. so I'm barely awake. (laughs) This is the coffee talking to you this morning. But the word means to glue. To glue two things together. He will leave his father and mother. And be glued to his wife. He will glue himself. I mean imagine this. The day you got married. When you said I do. In the spirit. You took some crazy glue. Put it all over her. Put it all over you. And you walk around with her just hanging on you. Forever. Well, at least for this life. Not forever. There is an exit clause. It's called death. (laughs) Till death do us part. That was the thing. There's another conversation Jesus had with the Sadducees. Now, this is a, 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 a... What what do we call it? uh, Tangent. tangent. See, I know when I'm on a tangent. i just tell you, I'm on a tangent. The Sadducees came to Jesus and they said, (laughs) they said, this man was married to this woman and he died. And so his brother married her and he died. And there were seven brothers and all of them married to her and they all died. Whose wife will she be on the day of judgment? And Jesus said, you're in error, knowing neither the scriptures nor the power of God. Right. For in heaven, they neither marry nor are given in marriage. Yeah. See, a lot of times I see people say, we're going to be together forever. No, <laughs> just till you croak. Right. <laughs> right. Till one of you croaks. Right. So people say, I can't get married again after my spouse died because I'm going to be with her in heaven. No, you're not. Right. She's going to be so enraptured with Jesus, she's not even going to notice you when you come through. <laughs> you're going to come through the pearly gates. Honey, I'm here. Oh, hi. <laughs> I worship you, Jesus. She don't even see you anymore. Jesus said, in heaven, all are like the angels. They neither marry nor are given in marriage. Marriage is for this life only. So, number one, for this life, God ordained marriage. But only for this life. And only for grown folks, not for children. Marriage is not for children, it's for grown folks. Okay? (laughs) Well... What am I talking about? So a man shall leave his father and mother and cling to his wife, be glued to his wife. When Sonny and I got married, we looked at each other. and We sat down. We had a talk before we got married. We said, look, if we're going to do this thing, we're going to do it. And we made a decision that our marriage was permanent. It was till death do us part. That when we stood at that altar and made that covenant, we would not break it. And we committed to one another before we stood at that altar. We committed to one another. We talked about it. Look, divorce is not an option. And we both had that talk with one another because I wanted to make sure before standing at the altar with someone that she had the same perspective on marriage that I did. I wanted to make sure I wasn't marrying somebody who was trying this out to see if it would work. But was going to bail if it didn't work. And we made the decision together. I want to make sure you understand because in my mind and heart, this is it. I'm not doing this again. I will not divorce you. And she said, I feel the same way. This is it. If we get married, that's it. That's it. It's done. We're married. I will not leave you. And we had to have the hard talk. I said, but what if we're miserable? And we looked at each other and said, then we're going to be miserable together. I said, well, we're just not happy anymore. Our covenant is stronger than our emotional state. And let me tell you something, because you look at us up here, you know, and we look real happy together, right? You remember, you remember that? Uh, um, remember Robin did, did that, uh, that skit? And whoever played Pastor Sonny, and she's up there prophesying, and he's all behind her, hugging her. You know, you see us up there on stage, and she's prophesying, I'm hugging her. You know, we just look happy. Let me tell you something. That, that leave and cling thing, it's been tested, okay? We have been tested. Okay. We went through times where every fiber, with every fiber of our being, we wanted to break this thing. I'm just being honest. Let me just keep it real. Because anybody who goes through marriage and say, well, I never felt that. No, you felt it. Yeah. Or you were in denial. Yeah. I mean, there are those you know, few cases where you know, they just have a hunky-dory marriage the whole time. But that's like uh, .01%. <laughs> if it happens to you, praise the Lord. <laughs> praise Him. Kind of people just make me mad. Oh, great. Well, good for you. That's right there. That's true. That's true for you. Marriage is the most painful thing you will ever go through. Yes. It is the it is. most painful reality you will ever have to deal with. I mean, it's painful. It hurts. I'll tell you why. Because women are crazy. Yeah. I mean, sometimes they just don't make no sense. And you cannot talk sense into a senseless being. (laughs) Oh, hallelujah. I'm going to tone it down in second service. but (laughs) She ain't here right now. I'm good. This is y'all problem, not mine. (laughs) And so Jesus said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and cling to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Now, when Jesus said the two shall become one flesh, he was speaking immediately of the sexual relationship between a man and a woman. Now, we got to talk about sex for a second. I'm not going to get graphic. Don't worry. But we got to understand the significance that sex belongs in the marital relationship and not outside of it. And let me tell you why. Because sex is a sign of something greater. It's not just about a physical act and an exchange of fluids. It's not that. It is a covenant in the flesh. And that covenant in the flesh, it means that my life belongs to you and you belong to me. It means we are one. It is a physical sign of our spiritual, emotional, psychological, economic oneness. It is a sign of every other form of oneness that comes out of it. It is a sign of it. And Paul says that when a man commits sexual sin, he sins against his own body. What does that mean? That God created your physical body... One reason why God created your physical body was for the enjoyment of sexual pleasure within the context of a marriage relationship. And when you take it outside of that marriage relationship, you are you are degrading God's created purpose for your body. God is looking down, saying, that's not what I created it for. I didn't put it there for that reason. It's not for that. You are messing up. And now it degrades. Listen sex outside of marriage is an assault on the marriage relationship. Because if you take benefits that belong in the marriage relationship and you begin to enjoy them outside of the marriage relationship, you are making a statement that the marriage relationship is not important. Yeah. And so premarital sex, extramarital sex, postmarital sex, it is an assault and an attack on the marriage relationship. It is a statement that says, God, I know you put it in that context, but I'm telling you, you don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. Oh, okay. And let me tell you something. God don't like that. Amen. And so the one flesh union is so important. And listen, well, you know, I'm going I'm to write a book one day called Sexual Healing. Because most of us need sexual healing. And I'm not talking about the song because the song gets it all wrong. (laughs) Sexual healing does not mean I need some sex to get healed. And that is the popular thing that our culture teaches. You need to get healed in your mind so that you can experience sexual union the way God intended it. And as a culture, we need sexual healing. We need healing for our minds. And the two shall become one flesh. Therefore, they are no longer two, but one. And what God has joined together, let not man separate. Think about the marriage relationship at the end of the day that we've got to realize is that God does it. The marriage relationship cannot be created by man. It can only be created by God. It's a mystery at the end of the day. We approached the altar as two, but we walked away from it on July 29th, 2000, after Dr. Searle over there said, I pronounce you man and wife. He married us. We walked away as one. And you know what was funny? We didn't feel like we were one when we walked away. It didn't feel like anything had changed. But everything had changed. Why? Because God had did something in the spirit. God did it. You know one thing I do not do when I perform weddings? I never say by the power invested in me by the state of California. The state of California didn't call me to the ministry. The state of California did not anoint me or ordain me. I say by the power invested in me by the gospel of Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. By the call of God, I pronounce you man and wife. A lot of people get married and think, now we got the hard work of becoming one. Say, no, 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 no. God already did it. Now you have to renew your mind so that you believe you're one when it looks like you're two. But God did it. You start with an A. Now you have to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Now, I need a keyboard player on the platform to play some nice soft music. Hopefully soft enough to cause tears to congeal in your eyes when I begin to say what I'm going to say next. Ah! There's a number of different groups of people in this room. Some of you are here and you've never been married and you aspire to be married. Let me tell you something, that's a good thing. We talk a lot in the body of Christ about, you know, be if you're single, be glad. And yeah, you should. Enjoy your singlehood while you have it. Cuz you're going to lose things, you know, like freedom. Yes. <laughs> <Yes>. Downtime. <laughs> All that is gone. My life is not my own. I've been bought with a price. So enjoy your singlehood. But if you desire to be married, that's a good thing. The marriage relationship was created by God. And it was created by God for us. Some of you desire to get married, but aren't willing to do nothing to prepare for it. And if you desire to be married, but you're not willing to prepare for your marriage, you're preparing for a bad marriage. There are things that you can fix right now. Things that you can prepare right now. Get your house in order. They say if you pray for rain, you should carry an umbrella. If you pray for marriage, you need to take the steps to get yourself ready for it. Get yourself financially ready for it. Get yourself emotionally ready for it. Get healed of some stuff. Others of you here, you're married right now. Maybe you've had some hard times in your marriage. Maybe those hard times are behind you. Maybe you're in the midst of a hard time right now. Maybe those hard times are ahead of you. But I guarantee you that if you're married and you've been married for any length of time, the enemy has tried his best to destroy it. I want to encourage you that God loves your marriage and that He's willing to fight for it. But others of you here today, you've been married before and you're divorced. You had a relationship that dissolved. What I want to say to you today is that there's restoration even for you. We lay out the standard and we say, divorce is not of the Lord, and that's true. But divorce is not the unforgivable sin. So we hit married couples hard. Do not get divorced. We minister differently to divorced couples. Okay, it's done. You can't change it. You can't fix it. Some of you are divorced and it was not not your fault at all. You didn't do anything to deserve it. It was done to you. Others of you, maybe it was your fault. Either way, there's redemption for you. There's restoration for you. And the Lord wants to heal your heart. He wants to heal your mind. Can I promise that all of you who want to get married are going to get married? No, I can't promise that. But I can tell you to keep hope alive. I have an aunt who's 94 years old. She got married a few years ago. Nobody saw that coming. (laughs) We thought her fire had died a long time ago. Her first husband went home to be with the Lord. She said, well, death did us part. She grieved him for a few years, but she moved on. And she's happy. I got to go visit her soon. What I'm saying to you is you have no idea what God has planned for you. Keep hope alive. Prepare yourself. Seek the Lord. I don't know what you've been through or what you've seen. Some of you here are scared of marriage because of what you saw growing up in your own home. Some of you have never seen a healthy marriage modeled for you. Never seen anyone stick it out. But I want to talk to you about restoration today. Redemption restoring the years that the locusts have eaten. I'm saying to you that whatever is in your past, the power of Jesus Christ is here to heal it. He wants to heal your mind. He wants to heal your heart. He wants to give you the resolve to get up and walk forward. Some of you who have messed up in the sexual arena, premarital sex, there's forgiveness. There's healing. There was a couple that I led to Christ doing their premarital counseling a few years ago. I've seen a lot of couples come to Christ during premarital counseling. I love doing premarital counseling with folks who don't know Christ. And I led this couple to Christ in in about the fourth session. And they said, well, wait a minute. Doesn't that mean that we're not supposed to have sex anymore? I said, that's right. And they said, but our our wedding is three months away. I said, yep. They said, okay, we're going to do it. We're going to stick it out. And they went and put it on their Facebook wall. We're going to be celibate for the next three months. And all their friends were writing, why? Are you crazy? And they were writing, because we just gave our lives to Jesus. I was so proud of them. About a month later, I get a call on a Saturday morning. And there's weeping on the other end of the phone. We messed up. And they thought, it's off now. We ruined it. We messed it up. It's over. I said, no, there's forgiveness and restoration. There's real repentance in your voice. But now he's faithful and just to forgive you your sin and to cleanse you of all unrighteousness. And the joy of the Lord came, and they stayed strong for the rest of that time until their wedding day. And it was, it, I think it was a, a powerful testimony because at their wedding reception, I was there, I flew out to Phoenix to do their wedding, and all of their unsaved friends are there And they jumped up and said, tonight we're going to do it for the first time in a month and a half. (laughs) Their friends were like, what? What are you talking about? They're like, we met Jesus. We're going to do this right. What I'm saying to you is there's healing. There's forgiveness. There's restoration and there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because when we start talking about these things, the first thing that happens is people start feeling condemned. Don't feel condemned, but I do want you to get some resolve. Resolve in your heart. Don't feel condemned about what happened in the past, but make a decision right now, but it's going to be different from this day forward. So, well, I had a marriage that fell apart. Okay, but I'm going to get up and walk clean from this day forward. And if God gives me another marriage relationship, we're going to do that one right. We're going to do it God's way. You hear what I'm saying? Redemption. Redemption means he takes us back to the Garden of Eden. And he takes the fruit out of Adam and Eve's hand. And he removes the fig leaves and pulls them out from behind the bush. And he says, you're going to discover again what it means to be unashamed. There's redemption. There's restoration for your family. But start by getting the foundation right in your mind and heart. The marriage relationship. So, well, I'm not ready. Then be ordered in your thinking about what the marriage relationship is all about. About what belongs in it and what does not belong in it. Get it right in your mind and be ready. Father, I pray today in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that you would release a river of restoration. Lord, there's so many people in this house today that are hurting in so many different ways. There's pain. Lord, you know that so many Mother's Days, the church is half empty. Because people just can't bear to be there. Because there's so much pain. A lot of people are real anxious about this family focus. Some people are excited about it, but some people are scared. But Father, I pray today in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that you would remove the shame, that you would cover the pain, and that you would pour out the balm of Gilead on every heart and on every mind, and that you would bring peace, that you bring restoration, that you bring wholeness. I pray it in Jesus' name.